Welcome to Conversations, and Lisa and I want to say to everybody a very, very happy new year. Yeah. It's new year, can you believe it? You guys, I still can't believe 2018 is is done. I, I'm, I'm still kind of mentally dealing with that we went by that fast. I know. Honestly, I felt like we just had Christmas and New Year last year. 2017. Yeah. I know. It just, Lisa, I have a theory about this. It's stupid, but I'm going to say it. All right. Okay. Well, well, you know what? We want people, I've heard this theory. So if you can scientifically prove that it's right or wrong for John, please write us. Yeah. Because I'm often wondered. So when you're five years old, years seem so long. And but when you're 50 years old, they seem so. They wait, seem when so you're quick. almost 60, right? Yeah, hey, this is John's year. 60. I, I know I'm Big turning 60, 60 this year, babe. It's a big one. Yeah. But anyway, but when you're five years old, one year is one fifth of your entire life. When you're 60, one year is one sixtieth. So in reference, as a reference point, it now becomes shorter and shorter. In relationship. Yeah. So that's that's why, guys. Every year is going to feel shorter because we're old. No, we're not old. I will never okay, say that out of my mouth because my well Bible along, says he makes well me young, new, fresh then why every are your day. Years going by so fast. Why why, why are my are years, years going doesn't by so matter. Fast? Anyway, no. we better get off of this or we may not get to our podcast today. Lisa, I'm so excited about 2019 podcast with you conversations because we we, we have decided to pour into this more we have decided to uh, strategize with our team more we've decided to bring it up to a new level and so we're we're making some changes additions we're doing some things that I think is going to make uh, you know it, it a lot of fun but you know what we love doing on like the day before New Year's, I don't know if you remember doing this with our kids. Remember they did all the it's funniest things that happened that year, the yes. best sports reviews, the or, or plays that week, the best yes. movies, the worst movies, all that. So I, I, we kind of wanted to do this with you guys. So what we wanted to do is go through the top best episodes that you guys downloaded in 2018 yep. and three we were going to pull popular. the three most powerful clips out of each of those and I just think that's a fun thing to do and and and, and the one thing we want to make sure all of you guys are doing is please go to iTunes do a review and Put your requests on it on what, what you want to hear Lisa and I talk about because we're really feeling like a mom and dad in the church right now, especially now that I'm like turning 60. It's feeling yeah. feeling a little bit more here. And I really want, Lisa and I are passionate about this. We want to help you. We want to help you avoid the pitfalls that we walk through. You know, Lisa, I look at our our suffering and our, our, our stuff we went through in our earlier years of marriage, and I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for those times now, even though those times were so hard. Yeah. I was like, I hate this. They were our teachers and instructors. They really were and gave us strength. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm excited about the first episode because it features dun 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 my second born son. Yeah. It features Austin. We're going to be talking about renewing your mind part one. And in renewing your mind series, we discuss the importance of mental health and well-being. That's so important, isn't it, babe? Yes. And it has, it, it, it isn't just like, hey, this is important. It actually gives some tools about this. And so he's, our son, Austin, he is smarter than both of us put together. And uh, what he did is he actually takes us on the journey about how he overcame negative thoughts and emotions. And I'm so excited. We're going to roll in a clip from this episode. I want to say something on the very front end because this is a question that, you know, I want to make sure people understand. 
you know, there's people, they say, is it okay to get help if I need help? If I'm struggling with something, chemical imbalance or mental health, is it okay for me to get help? And absolutely. Whereas parents, we would say anybody and everybody should have available to them whatever tools they need to increase their and that's, that's what you guys health. did for me. I mean, yes. what was it like three years ago? Yeah. You guys walked me through the process. I went to a counselor mm-hmm. and got some help for where I was at mentally. And I, I was not strong mentally. And I remember kind of feeling like uh, I feel like a failure. Like I feel like a mental failure because I have to go get counseling. And you guys were so gracious through that process. And I love that today we get to kind of pass that on to other people like hey if you're if you're struggling with thoughts and uh, just things going through your mind call it mental illness or mental health it's okay to get help and what I loved about that counselor is he used the word of God he did and he used it as a sword he did yep absolutely and I think there's uh, me and Addison were discussing this a couple weeks ago Addison is our firstborn yes also smarter than John and I (laughs) I think there's uh, two reasons why people shy away from this topic of mental health in the church. And one is I feel like sometimes as Christians, we feel like a failure if we have to address this issue or if we feel like we're struggling with our mental health because we feel like, oh, we don't have enough faith or we're not a good enough Christian, which in actuality, I think I think it's that's completely a wrong mindset. I believe it's important. The Bible talks all the time about getting counsel. And if you look at it like that, if you're going to counsel, you're getting someone to help you get your thought process and stuff in, in check. I mean, if you think about even uh, uh, physical health, that's something that's often talked about. Uh, we don't see being in poor health as something that's like uh, terribly labeled against yourself. But if you if you have poor health, you realize, oh, I need to eat better. I need to work out or whatever. And so the opportunity... If you break your arm, you need to get it set. Yeah, you need to get rehabilitated. And so uh, for mental health, that means you get to strengthen your mind. And one of the great ways to do that is through... You can go uh, talk with a counselor or getting in the Word of God. Like getting in the Word of God and figuring out what God says about you and reaffirming truth in your mind. There's a lot of scriptures. And what I love you've done is you've made this an incredibly user-friendly study where people can go in and they can renew their mind as a course and they can go through and it addresses some of the greatest fears people have. So I'd love you to actually talk a little bit about that. Okay, so, sure. And, um, and and could you define what it actually means? So you talked about physical health. Can you define what mental health, what would that actually look like? If I'm a mentally healthy people, what, what how would I describe that? I think what really set it apart for me with mental health is I remember like three years ago when I was going through all this really struggling with my emotions and uh, oftentimes people disassociate emotions with their mental health but it's so tied together I remember being uh, very tired every day and I remember uh, sometimes waking up one morning and feeling completely different than I did the night before if that makes sense like feeling great positive one moment and then waking up and feeling completely different and having these massive mood swings throughout the day. And I remember just thinking my emotions are controlling my life. They're leading my life. And I am getting into conversations and arguments that I would not have if I wasn't uh, a little more healthy with my emotional health. And so oftentimes I think when it comes to mental health, it's so important to have your emotional health in check. And one of the best ways to do that 
is to change your thoughts. Your thoughts are what produces your emotions. And so some people feel like emotions are random or they come out of nowhere, but your emotions are a reaction from what you've been thinking about in the past. And so if you are disciplined and you change your beliefs, you change your thoughts, your emotions will have to line up. So Austin, can I ask you, is it a uh, re- is it a letting go of thoughts or is it a replacing thoughts with right thoughts? Which one would it be? Well, I'll just, I'll just bring this up. It's in my mind, the simplest way to put it is renewing your mind. And so that's replacing what you believed about yourself, about other people, about God with the truth of God's word. I love that. I love it too. And, and really that is what changed my life. I felt like uh, three years ago when I was battling this, I was trying everything. And even when I went to counseling, it was very helpful to have someone like look to me face to face and talk things through. But really the thing that changed my life was when I got in the word of God. And there's a verse, uh, uh, Romans 12, 2, that mm-hmm. talks about renewing the mind. And I'm just going to read it from the message. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God you'll be changed from the inside out. And that's something that I began to realize is I got saved. I'm in a, I'm in a Christian home, but yet I was so many times trying to go through this process of sanctification from the outside in, meaning God had put his spirit on the inside of me, and I felt like I was trying to, in the flesh, work out my salvation or work in my salvation almost. And the Bible tells us to work out our salvation. And that's through, uh, it says, fix your attention on God in Romans 12 too. And I love that because as we fix our attention on God or God's word, we're transformed from the inside out. And so mm-hmm. rather than struggling to become uh, sanctified from your actions, you have the motivation from the inside, renewing your mind, which then releases that inner life to the outside. And so um, that that's just is that's the most amazing thing about renewing your mind is that transformation from the inside out. And that's what I began to realize as I was studying the word. You know, Lisa, I have to say, um, Austin, at one point when he was a young adult, said, Dad, can you be my accountability partner? And these are the things we talked about. And Lisa, I'll tell you, in those talks, I was like, oh, my goodness. I can't even believe what's going on in this in this man's mind, my my second born son, and I watched him tackle this thing and go mm-hmm. after this. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, he is he 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 is so strong mentally mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. so healthy emotionally. Well, and he it, he always was strong mentally. It's just that he built his mind patterns wrong. Yes. So he he's very strong, and you know I know that you and I both would say to him, "Wait a minute." Next time, can you bring us this thing where it, when it's a worm before this whole thing has grown into a dragon in your mind? That's can, so good. Can you talk it through with us early on? And so we want to we want to give you the tools to talk about that. But what's the next episode about, John? All right. So the next one was probably uh, the most conflict Lisa and I have had in our marriage in 2018. What? Yes. When we sat down to do this one, this one was tough. And can I tell you, I know why it's the second most downloaded because Lisa, I thought, oh, that one was so tough tough. I decided, you know, one day I was in the gym and I was listening to Jensen Franklin preach in the gym and Jensen was done. And I thought, you know what? Brian Houston always says, review your messages. I said, I'm going to the worst sex and sexuality one that we did. The one that Lisa and I were just like, had to redo, redo, redo. And I listened to it, Lisa. And I thought, man, this is good. (laughs) So anyway, it doesn't surprise me that this is number two. So anyway, we, we just talking about sex people, you know, sex is a very important 
important um, uh, thing to talk about. We call it around our house Sex Divino because there is a marriage counselor who Sexo has, Divino. Has, yeah. is, was helping our boys with pre-marriage counseling because we did have two weddings in 2018, and they came home saying, Sex Divino, Sex Divino. And I'm We're like, all right, guys, can you tell sex. me what, what you're talking about with this? And then I got it real quickly. But anyway, in the sexuality Q&A episode, we got to answer some of your questions related to sexuality. Here's a clip from that episode. You know, I love that you brought that up because I do believe that the most important principle of intimacy in a marriage is honor, is honor. And so many have mistaken that the marriage bed cannot be dishonored, but it can be dishonored because in this scripture, it says God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. So he's actually giving them a charge to protect it. So we honor our marriages when we're single or engaged by remaining pure and reserved for our future mate. We honor our marriage bed after the wedding day by never allowing others in, such as committing adultery or watching pornography or by allowing other, anything else to detract from the beauty of our sexual intimacy. Again, perversion, pornography, impurity. The marriage bed doesn't sanctify ungodly sexual indulgences. Rather, ungodly behavior defiles the marriage bed and keeps us from enjoying true intimacy. I'm reading from the story of marriage. I also believe that we honor our beds by seeing them as a place in which we serve our spouses. It isn't about what you can do for me. Right. It's about serving one another. And I think that kind of attitude changes the way you would approach that. So I love this young girl's uh, heart and um, you know can I can I can I, um, yes. I something just came to yeah. me and I have to believe it's the Holy Spirit I've never thought of this before so do you know what the Hebrews did uh, when they read the scripture to their children they would put honey in their mouth mm-hmm. to create a sweetness associated with the Torah now think about how God designed marriage the marriage yeah. bed he designed it in such a way that if we go in there serving each other we're gonna end up getting a very sweet flavor and it's called a real pleasurable experience And that pleasurable experience was associated with the husband serving his wife and the wife serving her husband. And so being the goal, it shows the ultimate thing that when we serve one another, there is great pleasure that God rewards us with. And I think that's really important for people to understand. You destroy that when you're involved with pornography. You destroy that when you've got adultery. You destroy that when you're when you're uh, fornicating because you've got a sexual drive, you are now being driven by your passions and your senses instead of being motivated by the love of God and then getting the rich reward that God gives a husband and a wife from that. You know, I, I love that you brought that up. And I also I also want to take the flip side of that. You know, we've got a, a, somebody that's written in and very, uh, very honestly saying, I'd love to hear you guys talk about the marriage bed. Things are things like being submissive in the marriage bed. What is okay to bring into the bedroom and what is not? And then she gives a little bit more clarity. My husband and I sometimes disagree on boundaries of what is acceptable and what is not. Mainly how I do not submit for not wanting to do certain acts. Well, we just... So we, just, we, we don't we think just submission... That. Yeah, but we that word submission doesn't even, to me... Like, submission means like, oh, wow, you know, I, if you dis- destroy the other person, the other person doesn't feel intimate. It's if, a violation if you're doing of love. right, if you're violating something they're comfortable with, then we, that's not that's not love. So I just want to be no, but I want to be clear, John, yeah, because yeah. women feel a lot of times that what you're saying is by serving that they have to do something they don't want to do or feel morally so re- reprehensible. That's to totally so, wrong. Right. And when you so look at man, God, who that. is love, love is the one that designed marriage. 
and love would never allow a person's, you know, Paul tells, okay, let's just go, let's, let's stay scriptural. Paul says, if you got a guy, you got a guy that is, that is conscience is disturbed by somebody eating a meat sacrifice to idol. Don't ever eat meat in front of him because you're going to violate his conscience. Now, let me speak to all you husbands. So you've got your wife who is not comfortable because her conscience won't let her, but you're telling her to submit. There's no way God, who is love, would ever, ever do that. So you have to ask yourself, what is driving you? Your desire to serve your wife and be rewarded the way I, I spoke of or just a few minutes ago. Or are you trying to be a dominating husband who is going to force your wife into your dominating control, not submission. Don't even call that submission because Jesus commands me to submit to him and Jesus doesn't force me to obey him. Out of a passionate love in my heart, I obey Jesus. Now, when your wife out of a passionate love in her heart wants to serve you in that capacity, that's great. But for you to demand that, that's not submission at all. Brother, that's called domination and you better stop it right now. Yeah. And I do think that couples should talk about things. I, I think that in the bedroom, two people naked feel very vulnerable. I think there should be a conversation outside of the bedroom. Hey, I'm not comfortable with that. Or this makes me feel this way, or I feel that way. And, and have a conversation when it's not emotionally or sexually charged. All right. Now for the third, we have uh, my friend, Dr. Preston Sprinkle, and he is going to be talking in this episode on how to love sexually broken people. And I am so excited about this because this topic is such a, a necessary conversation. Right. And yet so many people either do it with harshness or, to be honest with you, ignorance. And so Dr. Sprinkle, he talked about what it means to love people well when we live in a society filled with sexually broken people where we can live, love them, and declare the truth in a way that will point people to freedom rather than bondage. And so in this full episode, so we got sexuality Q&A from John and Lisa, and now we got Dr. Sprinkle. And one of I the things- I guess sex kind of won it in 2018, well, renewing didn't your it? mind and sex are all kind of related. But yeah. here's the thing. Um, what I love is he didn't just talk as a topic of like, this is how you can do it as an individual, but really about the conversations that Christians and churches need to have, because we're actually letting the world out there control the narrative and say, oh, Christians are mean-spirited, Christians are judgmental, Christians hate homosexuals, Christians hate people that get abortions. And what I loved about this is it, it, it took control of the narrative where we could speak positively without contradicting the word of God, but without alienating people from the love of God. And That's it's, good, Lise. And it's really highlighted from his book how uh, it's, it's called... Um, people who need people to, be, to loved. be loved. People no, to be loved. People, sorry right. about that. Yeah. People to be loved, why homosexuality is bigger than an issue. And it just deals with uh, all of the gender challenges that we're living in right now because of the brokenness in our world. And before we go to this clip, I, I just want everybody to remember, God is our maker. He's our creator. As a creator, he knows what breaks us, and he knows what fixes us. Yeah. And so don't ever forget that. Anytime God says anything to you about sexuality, and it looks like he's restraining you, he's actually saying, I know what's good for you, and I know what will make you healthy and whole. I know what's best. Yep, absolutely. I was reading your book. Somebody had referred your book to me and I read it on a single flight and was just so impressed because I felt like I had 
finally found cool. somebody that was saying the things that needed to be said, who was smart enough to say it. Like I can say things that people will be like, Hey, you, you're not that smart. You can't actually <laughs> yeah, say right. these things. You, you, have, you do not have a doctorate. You just have opinions. And so I reached out to you and, and, and actually posted about your book, then reached out to you. And we saw some, we saw some crazy reactions on yes, my Instagram and yeah. Facebook. <laughs> remember that yeah <laughs> um i brought you into the i am adamant podcast because there is something around these topics around grace and around truth and uh, around people that have gender uh yeah. gender and sexuality issues that you want to talk about that you're yeah. very adamant about and so i just kind of wanted to give you a platform can you just kind of talk about the why because this is not the most people-friendly subject and yeah. kind of kind of tell me why you said i, I need to have these conversations so yeah, you know, it goes back my, um, I've never struggled with my sexuality or gender identity. And up until a few years ago, I didn't even know that was really a thing. You know, homosexuality was this kind of distant thing that, you know, it's, it's a sin, it's an abomination and people just need to kind of stop it, you know? <laughs> and, and that, that was, I just never really reflected on it, never even considered, you know, what does the Bible actually say about it? And so long story short, several years ago, um, it was actually Francis Chan and a few other mentors in my life said, you know, you should, you should dive into this topic and write a book about it. And so I started, you know, doing the research and doing the Greek and Hebrew word studies. And you know how it is when you write a book, you know, you start reading other things on it and, and you become this, you know, absorbed student with the topic. And, but early on in my research, I realized, you know, I kind of looked around and said, you know, I don't know any, hardly any gay people. And so I just started befriending LGBT people and just said, hey, I just love to hear your story, and and uh, you know, I'm studying this topic of homosexuality, and want to hear your story. What's it like being gay? You know, <laughs> and um, which is shocking. They invited you and said, sure, I would love to unpack that with you. Well, but the first reaction was, yeah, right. What's your real angle, you bigot? You know, I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Like, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a Bible college professor studying this topic, you know, and using these terms like topic and you know, Bible college professor. There's probably triggering all kinds of trauma in their life. But, um, you know, I remember them saying early on, like, well, we've never heard of a, an evangelical Christian who just wants to hear our story. And I was just kind of really cut by that. Like, well, man, I really want to hear your story now. And yes, I, I don't, I just want to listen. I'm not here to preach or whatever. I'm coming as a student and man, my stereotypes were blown apart. Um, and a lot of their stories were so diverse and yet almost every single story within the diversity had something to do with like, Hey, Preston, oh, yeah, you know, I was raised in the church too, and I went to Sunday school and I went to Awana. I memorized the Bible. And, but once I realized I was experienced unwanted same sex attraction at 12, 13, 14, all of a sudden now people looked at me differently and they shamed me and they mocked me. And I was isolated and alone and depressed and suicidal. And I had no community to wrestle with out loud. And I'm not a, I'm not a crier, emotional person, but my heart was just being torn in two saying, Oh my word, you were in the church and you didn't experience the love of Christ because you had a struggle that most other people don't. I said, that's, that's not right. I mean, the church, I grew up believing and been being told that the church is a hospital for sinners. So when did it become a graveyard for gay people is, is kind of what was, what was going through my mind. And so I'm, I'm being ripped to shreds with these personal stories and saying, man, I think the church really needs to do something about this. We're not caring and loving people well while they're struggling with this. Now, so th that's half of my, you know, my, my research was kind of just studying people and learning. And, but then I was also studying the Bible and with the really, Lisa, I promise you before you, before God, before your audience, 
I came before God and says, look, if we got this wrong biblically, then give me the courage to go where the text leads, even if it leads me away from a traditional view of marriage. If that's what your Bible teaches, if it says two people of the same sex can get married and have a sexual relationship, then give me the courage to boldly proclaim that. But after studying all the evidence as fairly and freshly as I could, I, I concluded, like most Christians do, that no, God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, and all sexual relations belong within that covenant uh, framework. Um, so yeah, so my trajectory has been holding those two seemingly impossible uh, passions and tension. Number one, the church needs to care for uh, people who are struggling with their sexuality and gender 10 times better than it typically has. And it needs to become a beacon of light and hope and love for the LGBT community. And also, not but, but we also need to maintain theological integrity, maintain, uphold, and celebrate God's design for marriage. And no, it is not intrinsically hateful and harmful and bigoted as some people make it out to be. So that's that's been my whirlwind of a life the last five years. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I found it so disappointing that when I actually posted about your book, the first the first default in the church was, oh, my gosh, now you are supporting same sex marriage. They wouldn't even read the book. They, and, and I was so upset because I don't think we're doing it well. And, um, and I love that you said, Hey, we, we, you support a biblical frame of reference of man and woman. That's what marriage is. And sex happens in that context, but that does not mean that other people aren't struggling with things. And we have got to learn that the church needs to actually have the power of love and redemption. Something you said in your book that I found to be so moving, you, you talked about how Jesus was always going to side with love and compassion. Mm -hmm which meant he had to side with truth. Mm -hmm. And so many people don't know how to reconcile both truth and compassion or truth and love. And so we have a lot of people uh, saying that love means everything is, is truth. I mean, it can be your truth. My truth is different than your truth, but we, you and I both know as biblical scholars that truth is not subjective or relative. It's actually a person. It is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we actually believe that Jesus is the truth, then we have to navigate in what is happening in our culture in, in relationship with the truth, which is Jesus. Here's what I don't like is that the church is known for what she's against and not what she is for. And, and God is always for people. And he's always for freedom. And I felt like in your book, you you spoke to, and I love how the book is modeled. You spoke to the affirming, uh, this affirming same sex and the non-affirming. And, and you spoke to, here's the challenge of the non-affirming. Here's where you're being harsh. Here's where you're being bigoted. Here's where you're being prejudiced. Here's where you shut doors on people that probably need to have a relationship with you. And then you would also say, okay, affirming, here's where you have done theological gymnastic backflips that don't work when you look at the word of God. You actually took out both sides and put them on the table and talked about this is this is where we're at right now in our world. Um, I believe that a lot of people don't understand that sexual brokenness is something that is happening more and more in a lot of people. There's people that have been sexually molested, people that have been abused, people that have been exposed to pornography. All of this brokenness 
needs to actually be healed in the presence of God, which usually happens also in the presence of people. And so I I love uh, that you have been brave enough and courageous enough to tackle this. Okay, so gosh, that was good. In the next two episodes, we're going to share some specific strategies on how you can set up your year to be successful. And this is huge in January. Everybody's thinking about this. So we just want to thank you again for joining us. Lisa and I love, I, I, I actually, Lisa was just in Africa and people were coming up to me and saying, I listen to your podcast every time they come out. And I was like, wow, how amazing. Love but that. anyway, we love it when you write a review or you subscribe. Subscribing is huge and share this podcast through iTunes. And that would mean a lot to Lisa and I. Thanks for listening to Conversations with John and Lisa. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review. And be sure to subscribe and share these episodes through iTunes. You can also connect with John and Lisa through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time.